0: The first ones that I got from her were the um, tattoos on my fingers, and um, and I thought that like if I was writing, like I was typing something, or I was um, operating a camera or some kind of you know any kind of if I was if I was working, I could could see them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and be reminded of who I am and where I am in the world and like how I, you know, responsibilities Mm -hmm. and, um, being true to, um, myself and my family, my extended community, Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, our stories to to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like that visual reminder. That it's part of your working hands and thinking about what you're doing. And is it representative of how you want to be in the world?
2: That was Priscilla Hensley. She's a writer and a documentarian. Before she started working on documentaries, her job history was varied. She had worked in communications and having made a few short films herself, had some prior knowledge of filmmaking. There was also a period of time when she considered herself a poet. All these jobs have helped her become a jack-of-all-trades. Her time in communications has helped a lot with her documentary work because so much of filmmaking is about logistics and making things happen. Her poetry has helped with her screenwriting. She says that the most important thing she's learned about screenwriting is to start. Just put the story on paper. You don't need to have great spelling. You can drop words. And you don't need to storyboard everything. Just start writing. And then, later, you can worry about editing and rewriting. Priscilla grew up recognizing and honoring her Inupiaq heritage. Her dad, William Hensley, is a key figure in Alaska Native land rights. He's known for his role in the creation of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. As a result of the act, Alaska Natives retained 44 million acres of land and about $1 billion to settle Indigenous land claims in Alaska. Growing up around all of this is a big reason she pursues telling the stories that she does. The first documentary she worked on, for example, was We Up, a film about indigenous hip hop of the circumpolar North. It was produced by the Anchorage museum. In addition to it being a family affair, her husband also worked on the film and their children tagged along, it introduced her to the power of filmmaking. Priscilla has tattoos that commemorate her roots and her heritage. She gets them with her cousin every time she goes back to Alaska. The most recent one is on her hand, so she sees it when she's writing or operating a camera. She says that she loves seeing her tattoos when she works, because they're a visual reminder of who she is, how she wants the world to see her, and her responsibility to being true to herself, her family, and her community. So here she is, Priscilla Hensley. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the
0: creative and critical thinking of ideas,
2: past, Past, present, and and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. You and your family don't live in alaska anymore but you go back pretty often and you were just back there in
0: september how was it to be back hmm. well you know we don't live we don't live up there these days but um managed to make it back in um july and september
1: mm-hmm.
0: this this year and it's really nice to be able to basically experience at least like a couple of our sort of shifty Alaska seasons. Um, (laughs) and you know, had two very different trips, um, but both so like interesting and satisfying to get to, um, you know, I really like places that have mountains and water at the same time, Mm -hmm. like that we're sort of in in Anchorage sort of situated between them. Um, is it's like that's in a way one of the sort of setups or landscape setups that I like the best perhaps because I spent most of my um, life there Um, and then in September just to be able to like smell that kind of foresty rot that doesn't smell quite like any place else Mm -hmm. um, just because of the nature of what's Fall into the ground and is like, you know, decomposing there. I guess the yeah. the plants there. Um, that's always something that I really like, and, and and sort of take with me when I leave is just that sort of scent memory, of um, of what's basically the tiny, short, little autumn mm-hmm. in South Central Alaska.
2: Scent memory, I like that. You know, it seems like. What you just described these um these really extreme climates, you know, that we experience in Alaska, really bring you closer to nature?
0: well, it's a bit unavoidable. And even in the even in the biggest city, you know, in the state where half the population lives, like it's still it's it's spread out before you and looming above you. And uh, one of my children recently said that, about Alaska that, and, and, and she said that she said, um, there's just so much more nature. Um, and we don't even live in a big place that's, you know, entirely like cemented over or, um, plowed under or anything like that. It's just that it's so much more present there.
2: hmm yeah. You definitely feel, I don't know, like at one with nature rather than maybe in a city.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's always kind of struck me as a bit funny when people like bumper stickers, I mean, I feel like you could write a whole like book about sort of like bumper stickers about Alaska, you know, Mm -hmm. like the ones that ring true or don't or did at some point and don't anymore. um, But like the ones where they're like, um, where people would say like, uh, like Anchorage is like the gateway to Alaska or that it's, um, what is it that like, Kind of like nature's right over there like mm-hmm. i forget how exo- it goes exactly but um because sure like you can go not too far from there and there are fewer buildings but even being right there it's it's not like you're um really that separate from it and i guess too like um, we're always trying to sort of distinguish ourselves as humans from nature and from animals as though we're like not some kind of part of it all, Mm -hmm. like a an active part of it. Um and I that always strikes me as a little bit peculiar, but um like that we're not animals somehow or or um I mean and I think sometimes people are taking responsibility for the effect that humans have had on everybody else on the planet, all of our sort of like animal and plant neighbors and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and so like, we we were set aside in that way. And some, you know, but um, I don't know, it just seems like a unnecessary distinction to make, I guess. Yeah. What do you
2: think that that's all about? You know, us humans, separating ourselves from nature, at least, you know, existentially.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It seems like, um, you know, you sort of see animations of like human development over time, not like an individual human's development, but like as a sort of like a species. And it's like kind of like crawling out of the muck and then like protecting ourselves from things like wearing clothes and creating structures to keep, you know, protect ourselves from the elements or, you know, fending off wild beasts or whatever. So, um, And we, I think, tend to think of, often humans have thought of ourselves as sort of like the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everybody and not all the time and different peoples have different sort of ways of conceiving of that, I think. But it seems like, I don't know, it's almost sometimes you think about like people on a playground or like, sometimes there's just something like, like the braggarts or someone who's um, maybe a bit of a bully Hmm. kind of, um, and like, I don't know, a little puffed up on themselves. And I feel sometimes that like that sort of bossiness has a little bit, I don't know, to do with it at times, like this sense of like trying to command things and wrestle it down and it's a very like sort of colonial sort of approach to people and land and the creatures that are and and beings that are part of it Mm -hmm. um I don't know if there's some somehow there's like underneath it is like a fear that um that if you allow yourself to become part of it you'll be overtaken by it I don't know um that um that we have to like command things in order to um control them and and control that fear of you know our ultimate destiny <laughs> i yeah. don't know it's just it, when you speak you know mention it as an existential thing it is like is all of this going to kill me And and of mm-hmm. course the answer is yes in the end something <laughs> is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whether it's a meteor or a cougar or a heart attack or you know <laughs> just time yeah it's
2: this uh self-importance but at the same time we're still scared of the unknown just like we always have been
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we just keep lighting fires yeah <laughs> stave off the darkness <laughs> i like luck. that
2: <laughs> what do you think it does to a person you know living that close to nature when we do know of different ways of living you know i mentioned a city before, and I guess what I meant by that is kind of a, a more urban environment.
0: Well, I don't know, when you drive over that overpass on the, in Anchorage, it's like um, like on the highway and it goes it goes over um, like Diamond, you know, before it turns into Abbott and you just look down the road toward like Diamond Center and all of that. That is, I look at that and, and for, I don't know, probably decades now, I'm like, that looks like any place. That's truly just any place that little stretch, that view as you look that way. But if you turn your head to the left, you know, it's 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 the mountains that are right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that someone this summer was like, I think it was a kid who was like, you could just walk there in like an hour. And of course, no, you could not, <laughs> but yeah. um, but it seems that way. And um, I think, and it's true, it's like, it's a far stretch to say that like living in Anchorage that seems more, seems closer to nature or more interwoven with nature or less kind of um, like hermetically sealed than a lot of cities like it's it's a far stretch to say that that's the same as living even in Tionic, which is not you know not at all far like it's but is certainly more of a uh, a rural community like mm-hmm. you know it's um, it's you know a real ingredient like even in a fairly um even fairly close you know um but I think there have been scientific studies about what like being in or near nature like does for you like the whole like Japanese forest bathing things and Mm. like monitoring people's heartbeats when they're outside and their various sorts of biological markers and stuff that like it's just good for you Mm -hmm. like I think it's something that's getting prescribed to people like go outside. Um, Even children's vision is changing because they don't not all of them spend as much time outside as they our bodies have developed to do. And so more Mm. children are being um, uh, fitted for glasses, their eyes are literally like growing differently. They like it's kind of like they're longer, I think more like olive shaped than round. Um, And so like, not being in nature where our eyes have to look at different distances mm-hmm. a lot is changing the way that our bodies develop. So um, while people talk about like, oh, I need to get outside, like it's they, it feels good to just be outside. And the, if it's easier to do then because it's nearer, then that's probably good for you.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. That's interesting, you know, um we don't talk, at least I don't hear much about modern day evolution too much. Mm -hmm. And the things that I do hear have to do with technology, Mm -hmm. you know, how the things that we have built to, I guess, perceivably make our lives easier Mm -hmm. are, you know, doing things like you just mentioned, you know, changing the shape of our eyes.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think they were, it wasn't because kids were reading so many books necessarily that that was happening. I think they were talking about it's being um, less time outside and more time on nearby screens like iPads um, or other tablets. Uh, I don't think it has quite the same effect if you're like watching a TV on the wall or whatever, but still, I don't know that the answer is watching more TV instead of iPads, Yeah, (laughs) still go outside. Yeah. (laughs) Get outside, yeah.
2: When we were talking the other day, you said that your goal, while you were back in Anchorage, was to lay on your mom's couch, and if you <laughs> and if you weren't doing anything, then if you did that, then you'd be happy.
0: Yes, I'd say that that was like my um, it was my primary goal mm-hmm. in a lot of respects, and like once I had done that and like accomplished that, then everything else was just gravy. Really, um, there's something really. It's just, in. it's like, it kind of the ultimate chill. There's like, it's, for one, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am laying down. There are, um, my kids are happy playing or like there is, you know, they've got stuff to do or somebody else, they're playing with somebody else or visiting with someone. And and it's um, just like, a, I feel a, like rest and peace in a way that is very special Mm
1: -hmm.
0: any couch it doesn't even have to be the certain couch that they have now but that one is pretty comfortable
2: you know what's interesting is you know i'm sitting here looking at my questions Mm -hmm. i'm paying attention to the time that we've talked so far and i'm realizing we've been talking about alaska you know this whole time Mm -hmm. uh so far and something that i just thought of is or maybe that I'm curious about is how often do you talk about Alaska these
0: days? (laughs) That's funny. Um, Sometimes I wonder if it's too much. Okay. Like I'm some kind of, um, like, you know, I'm taking a class and sometimes when I say like, well, and then there's this story, thing, this thing happening in Alaska, and I can just imagine people on their little Zoom screens going, oh, God, Alaska (laughs) again, you know? but i do feel like it's probably something that i talk about like with some regularity um i take classes with um a lot of young indigenous people from around the country Mm -hmm. and um i often feel like their understanding or knowledge of alaska and especially um from an alaska native perspective is they just haven't met very many of us and they are, I recognize that they, for as big as many young people's worlds are anymore, that like, they are still, um, you know, like all of us have a lot to learn. And so I, 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 I do probably talk about Alaska quite a bit. Um, like for example, one day in a, in a class that were. we were trying to like, um, to name, uh, a, um, a um, sort of imaginary television show Mm -hmm. and um and the group wanted to call it like indian something something because it was going to be about like um like um native issues or something and i was like i am not indian (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i'm I'm indigenous i'm here i'm in yeah and so you know uh just little things like that um so i do i do find myself probably talking about alaska quite a bit not constantly not as much as I am on this podcast.
2: <laughs> and every time you go back to Alaska, you get a tattoo with your cousin Holly Nordland.
0: Oh uh, yes, Holly Mititcook Nordland I do. I do try to get tattoos with her, um, and I have for the last. Uh, maybe not every single trip, but I, I, I did this past July.
2: And what is that tattoo?
0: Um, the one that I got this um this summer is on the kind of like i guess the like knife blade sort of side of your hand like along the like pinky edge Mm -hmm. from um that like knuckle that connects my pinky finger to my hand from there kind of curves around to i'm sure there's like a name for this little bony but that little like bony bit on the outside of your wrist um it connects there on both sides. Um, And I came in there not really knowing what I, what I wanted. And she had an idea for some for a a tattoo. um, And we discussed it. And her idea was uh, like a, like a bigger tattoo than I felt like I was. um, I don't know had in mind but then once we did these I was like oh yeah we totally could have done that (laughs) she was uh I liked the direction she was heading in so we went sort of like part way there and then uh I think maybe next time we'll if she's still down for it we'll extend it the length of that she had in mind originally Mm -hmm. um because I love seeing them I like one of the things that I had kind of had in mind the first ones that I got from her were the um, and tattoos on my fingers. And, um, and I thought that like, if I was writing, like I was typing something, or I was um, operating a camera or some kind of, you know, any kind of if I was if I was working, I could could see them mm-hmm. and be reminded of who I am, and where I am in the world and like how, I, you know, responsibilities mm-hmm. and um, being true to um, myself and my family, my extended community mm-hmm. um, to, you know, our stories to, to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that visual reminder that it's part of your working hands and thinking about what you're doing. And is it representative of how you wanna be in the world?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's just a few simple lines, right? It's like eight lines. <laughs> <laughs> sure said a lot about eight lines, but like they, I, I'm really uh, grateful to her and to the practice and to, um, to having them and the relationship that it takes to create them.
2: That's really great. You know, I can totally identify with that on a level that I'm from Alaska. I'm not Alaska native, but I recently got a tattoo on my finger and it is a forget me not flower, just Mm. a petal. And I really loved what you said about it being on your working hands, you know, because I was getting distracted by it yesterday when I was typing up or when I was editing a podcast and it kept distracting me. And then a shift in my mind happened where I started to appreciate it, started to get used to it and started to really like what it reminded me of, you know, your roots.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and the things that grow up those roots, right? Like the petals Mm -hmm. of a flower, they're like the, sort of like top colorful part, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can, they're like sort of the like fruits of the roots labor in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't you say too that you'd had, uh, and I don't know if you wanted to talk about that or if you have already or something, but like, didn't you say that you had also um, gotten some tattoos, like shared tattoos with your siblings?
2: Yeah, yeah when I was in Alaska probably less than a month ago for my grandma's funeral Mm -hmm. and my grandma has a nickname that my grandpa gave her and it's pumpkin. And in the group chat before, you know, we all made our way to Anchorage for the funeral, I think it was my brother. My brother, Jake was like, should we all get a tattoo and me? My brother Jake and my sister Kiana kind of, we like tattoos, you know, we get them. Our other siblings, Colton and Derek, they don't really like tattoos. So, Mm. you know, they weren't really interested, but it was so cool because from the very start, it was a group effort. You know, Jake mentioned it. My sister Kiana was like, oh, I was thinking about that too. And I think that a pumpkin would be great. And then I was like, oh yeah, let's do that. I know a tattoo artist who Mm -hmm. can do it for us. So It was my brother, Jake's idea to get a tattoo. Then Kiana knew what to get. And then, you know, I knew who could give it to us. Mm -hmm. And so we all went and, you know, it was great. We all got it in different places, but it's just a pumpkin Mm -hmm. and just black and white. And, you know, it's a reminder of, uh, my grandma and it's a reminder of, you know, just like symbols Mm -hmm. like that, that, that includes so much more.
0: For sure, well, that's cool. I like that you each had like a component of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is actually one of the things. Given this kind of time of the year, um, people have been, you know, kind of like getting out pumpkins, We're talking about pumpkins, tonight. and 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 Alaska, and they'll sometimes say like, "Don't they grow like pumpkins the size of like Volkswagens?" <laughs> <laughs> And then people often have a lot of questions too, you know, you're asking people, if I find myself talking about Alaska and I find that often people, they either have questions or they want to like, tell me their ideas about it, you know, like, or things that they've heard or like, they kind of, um, other people like to like share their, their thoughts about it too, which is kind of neat. Most of them are reasonable. Are there unreasonable ones? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes I've, I've, I've heard from people who are like, you know, I always wanted to like go up and be a gold miner. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you can. <laughs> I mean, they think partly like proliferation of, um, like reality television shows about mm-hmm. various, um, kind of almost like subcultures or like, um, sort of types of life up there have, um, um, people are like oh i could do that you know mm-hmm. or they watch um various kind of survivalistic kind of programs or um you know so some, sometimes they I, I think for most people you know like you could pretty much say that the gold rush is over <laughs> like in der- yeah. you know <laughs> um, or um i don't know sometimes they're a little bit more realistic but like you know I think sometimes like the idea that you can just kind of like rock up and um and live in the woods Mm -hmm. like sure you can have like trees around your house but like um and many people do live you know very like self-sufficient um or like you know smaller communities that like are sufficient and you know in their own ways but you're not going to be Grizzly Adams, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, for the most part. Like, I'm sure you could figure it out, you know, <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, but it's just so much work, yeah, like it's so hard to live that way, and um, and in any more, even a lot of the most remote communities are really interconnected, um, in terms of like various sorts of like needs and services and things like that. That, um, I, I don't think. You know it kind of goes back to a lot of the romantic notions of people who just know a few things and and, and paint it into a picture for themselves
1: mm-hmm. you know?
2: so a few years back you worked on we up which is a documentary on indigenous hip-hop of the circumpolar north what was that experience like <laughs>
0: um well um it was a very family affair I guess you could say I co-directed it with my husband, David Mm Holthouse, And when we went on um, filming trips to Sapmi in Northern, uh, Northern Norway and Northern Finland, um, our children came with us um, and like, I would gave a camera to our older child to like film with while we were filming um, an interview with somebody, or Mm -hmm. we had the, the, one of them was really small, so we had a, a, a um, like a stroller, and like she would be on my back, and all the gear would be in the stroller. <laughs> like so, mm-hmm. as we yeah. sort of um, toured around it, um, but it was a really neat experience. I loved meeting people and having the opportunity to learn more about them and to like celebrate their artistry, their their cultures, and communities to share that with other people and have a chance to listen to them, um, through their music and through interviews and just Mm -hmm. through spending time, um, like at the festival Ridu, um, the indigenous, um, festival in, in Norway, um, where we filmed some of the artists and did some of the interviews and things like, um, And it was really eye-opening, at least in terms of the work that we did in SAPME, because I loved hearing about the like, just the similarities among indigenous cultures um, that I had not been aware of prior to that. it was just something really like, like exciting and joyful about it. And um, the strength of the music that the artists are creating that those those particular artists and then others that I like learned about in the process. Um, it's just really excellent work Mm -hmm. by supremely like talented, hardworking people who are, um, I felt really, really lucky to get to, to get to meet those that I did or to see, see others perform. Um, I'm still sorry. I didn't get to do the, go to the, um, to Nuke, I feel like every other member of my family has gotten to go to Nuke and I never have. So I had, I had imagined it was gonna be my big shot, but it was not. And I'm grateful to Holly and to Mike Conti for being able to cover that bit for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the other thing I guess I would say about it is that I realized through that process that I loved it. I like I love the opportunity to be curious about something and to um, make your way through learning about it and working with others to craft that into a story that you can share with other people. And that there was a lot to learn. And I, I've told this story before, maybe to you, but maybe not, um, that it was a point in the process working on that where there was a like an email between the fantastic sound designer or sound like, um, uh, engineer that we worked with, and the person who was editing with us. And there's this email and I was like, I don't know what these guys are talking about. And I, I don't wanna feel this baffled. And and I kinda wanna go back and look at the email now and see if I have a better clue. I hope I do. <laughs> um, but like it was sometime later uh, when I finally actually met that editor in person, um, Rogelio Abraldes. And I met him um, at a festival that was screening the film. And and it was so great to meet him. And I was sitting, sp- talking with him one night and I was like, that email, it really inspired me to like learn more because I, I was so confused. And he's like, I had no idea what it was said either. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but he has like, is a, is a truly like, you know, fantastic um, editor who's gone on to work on a lot of great projects. And, um, and t- so on the one hand, I'm quite, um, uh let's see i am i feel better knowing that like somebody who's as good at what he does as rogelio is that like he also did not know um so (laughs) (laughs) there's always more to learn (laughs) for all of us
2: (laughs) was he the person that wrote the email
0: he was not actually no he was not um he was
2: just on the email chain and he was just as confused as you were yes
0: but somehow made it work apparently Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Gregory was great. And he's just a real professional.
2: And had you worked on a documentary before this
0: one? I hadn't. Okay. Um, I had mostly made like weird little dance movies, little like, like movement oriented stuff. I had made a, um, a short piece where I um, made a, a an outfit out of like plastic grocery bags, and then wore it back to the store, like while I shopped. And, and, you know, it was Mm -hmm. kind of a, um, and so I'd made these kind of little oddball, little like, you know, art and dance things. But I had, you know, written a lot and worked in communications for a time. And, um, you know, a lot of documentary filmmaking is, just making the, like a lot of it for one thing is like logistics mm-hmm. and making the connections and just like planning and organizing and getting all the things that you need into the place that you need them at the time that you need them with the people that you need them. So mm-hmm. um, I felt like, you know, all of that and my like very like generalist kind of um, approach to a professional and <laughs> career life yeah. um, lends itself well to documentary filmmaking. I'm probably, I would never consider myself really a true specialist in anything in particular.
2: I kind of feel like that makes the best professionals though, Hmm. you know, people that, that are doing the craft and are always feeling like it could be done better, Hmm. you know, because that lends itself to constant improvement.
0: I like the idea of constant improvement. Um, I think, you know, learning to love your mistakes is like I feel like that's like a always a work in progress Mm -hmm. Um, because I know that we learn so much from them so to be able to kind of um, use them instead of like feel used by them I guess (laughs) uh, or feel shame yeah because I don't you think you grow a lot from shame Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: maybe in like you know Dark and creepy ways, but not in the generative ways that we all, I think, aim for. So, um, yeah, I, I I I like that I've had a very like varied. Um, I've worked a lot of different jobs and different kinds of jobs, and you know, I think that helps to have, you know, you just kind of see different ways of getting where you want to go mm-hmm. or making what you're hoping to make.
2: And what kind of stuff were you writing?
0: For a long time, I considered myself a poet. I guess I wrote poetry. um, And that was sort of my main area of writing, Um, you know, like any kind of like sort of creative or um, like kind of ongoing practice. And I like writing essays. I, you know, I think I wrote some restaurant reviews (laughs) for the Anchorage (laughs) press, like, it was certainly not like a vocation. Um, And, um, you know, I I really enjoyed writing the piece that's in the Anchorage Museum's publication, um, North. Um, I thought the idea of kind of turning over the idea of being a Northerner, like, and asking people about like their sense of being a northerner, if that was something that registered for them, all of that and impressions of the North. I really enjoyed that kind of inquiry Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: having the the space to do that. Um, I have been writing some um, screenplays, short screenplays for the most part Mm -hmm. um, in the last few years. And, um, you know, it's really, um, it reminds me little bit about by like of of baking actually like where like I've heard people talk about baking as a science
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, like you really have to like measure stuff and if you're at altitude make these adjustments so you know like Mm -hmm. it's quite specific there's a recipe but you can decorate your cakes you can add flavorings if you want to and so with screenwriting it really is a in some ways fairly restrictive format but I've enjoyed learning it and, um, and I feel like it's a nice combination of, of um, my um, liking to write and um, being able to do something with the like voices in your head, <laughs> you know, yeah. like um, they just have to speak in fairly like short sentences.
2: Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> because what does um, Strunk and White, in their Elements of Style book, mm-hmm. they say, omit unneeded words, and I swear I try to live by that.
0: Mm-hmm. You may not be able to tell that by the way that I talk today, but um, <laughs> I I appreciate that sent that uh, that uh, approach as well.
2: What do you think is maybe the most recent important thing that you've learned about screenwriting?
0: Just start, just put the story there. Like you don't need to have great spelling. You can have dropped words, like have something there. Just, you don't need to storyboard everything out unless that's your way of doing it. But like begin and then, and then edit re and, and rewrite and like, but start. Um, and it's the, it, it's, you know, it's what I've been telling myself lately, <laughs> go ahead and get started. Those ideas that you have, like, they're not gonna like, um, type themselves. So, um, I think that's, you know, probably the same, the same, um, kind of kick in the pants, like idea that you need for a lot of, um, creative or, you know other kinds of pursuits is just start
1: mm-hmm.
2: and right now you're working on a documentary series for hbo what can you tell me about that
0: well probably i can't tell you too much about it um but i can say that it's um a great project one that i'm have really enjoyed um, working on and and being part of That I've done a lot of filming out in the Navajo nation the last couple of years and met a lot of great people. It's not an area of the world that I'd spent any time in before. And, and I, I just feel, um, really like happy to have been able to, um, meet the people that I've met through the process, both, um, you know, members of the the team that are working on the series and then also the folks that we've spent time with out there.
2: You know, I took some notes from our chat before, you know, the official chat, and do you mind if I read a few things and you can just let me know if you can talk about them or not?
1: <laughs> okay, sure. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, cool. Um, You said it follows a group of people mm-hmm. and it's shot in Verite style. Yes. And... I guess maybe i'll just read the rest of my notes it's they're they're quick so 100 plus shoot days Mm -hmm. it started in june of 2020 during covid Mm -hmm. so you're working in the navajo nation when it was in heavy lockdown Mm -hmm. and that included navigating bureaucratic stuff Mm -hmm. it was awesome and gratifying you said
0: yes it was um We did, we started um, some of the development work in June of 2020, and then um, continued to film over the next couple of years, like in um, maybe an interview here or um, some, you know, sort of like verite event or, you know, filming something that was going on um, there. But, um, and then really kind of um, like production in earnest began at the end of 2022 or
1: 2021. Mm
0: -hmm. So. And I think it's been a total of, yeah, what what would we say? It was like more than a hundred shoot days so far. Although I hate to say shoot. I've found that a lot of the language around filmmaking is um, really like kind of violent and acquisitive. And I've been working on (laughs) adjusting that. It's kind of when everybody else uses kind of one um, sort of lexicon, like I'm always talking about filming trips instead of shoots. Okay, yeah. uh, You know, I... I, um, you know, sometimes people will talk about what you what you got, like, um, in terms of what you have filmed that day, like, mm-hmm. or what somebody has said in an interview, and they certainly, I don't think that they mean it in any kind of, like, aggressive kind of a way, mm-hmm. um, but I've just somehow been sensitized to the language a little bit. Um, even though I think it's just, it's just, it's just how people talk, you know, but I've been practicing using other words to talk about it.
2: Why do you think that you've become sensitized to that language?
0: I think part of it is like some of the like history of photography and documentary making where, you know, it's it's very much through their own lens quite literally. And the sort of exploitative nature of of uh, you know not um not not always but like the that sort of exploitative history of photography and and documentary and sometimes even like like if you think about the photographs of say like Edward Curtis or the film Nanook of the North like mm-hmm. um or um a book I was paging through the other day um I can't remember the name of the um, photographer but it was like in canada in the fairly early 20th century and um i'd say that i've become sensitized to that language also partly because of the talk around guns Mm -hmm. and gun safety you know that you're pointing something at at someone Mm -hmm. with a camera and as you can see, I haven't really like. I don't know. I don't. I'm not even sure about anything. That I, the way that I've um, that I the way that I've described any of my sort of observations about those.
2: What it's reminding me of, or what it's making me think of, is I wonder if maybe you are sensitive to it because it is violent, you know, and it does have some correlation to guns and also ownership mm-hmm. and. And also, like, by extension, colonialism. Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe it does seem small at first. And maybe at first thought it seems, like, you know, insignificant. But when you change language around certain things, that's not insignificant. You know, because language, you know, turns into ideas. And ideas... Turn into actionable things. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, I guess um, I don't know. Like when I think about the language around photography, and you're talking about like what did you capture, mm-hmm. or in an interview did you get, and about shooting, and it's um, it is it it does feel really kind of a little bit like violent or aggressive or so I'm just sensitive to it. And I think that it, it is like the, um, you know, as you're saying, it's, it seems like a small thing, but it really reaches into a lot of important ideas about how we are with one another Mm -hmm. and how we are with one another, um, in the process of creating something or recording something. So I, I, I feel like there's a, possibly a, um, a lot of times a a kinder approach, perhaps.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: As for the documentary projects you've worked on, I wonder if you think your dad's work and activism and indigenous rights has influenced your decision to work on them.
0: I'd say that, um, yes. And also that, like, both of my parents um, have been often really active in various like topics and ideas and um, efforts initiatives projects and when it comes to uh, my dad's work I think that one of the main things is that I I heard them talking about things mm-hmm. like I was listening and saw that, people together could take interesting and important action. Um, and they're both really curious about the world, both of my parents um, and interested in other people. And mm-hmm. um, and I feel like those kinds of sensibilities lend themselves well to asking questions and being curious about people. and um, finding a way to tell those stories together.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: What does your dad's work look like?
0: When he started working on things, he was just like a kid. And so I think that his work looks like a lot of like typewritten letters. It looks like, um, you know, the elders and youth conference that, um, first Alaskans is doing it's, it covers. It covers a lot he's been engaged in um everything from electrification of rural alaska to um cdq stuff and and you know all everything in between and to either side of that like mm-hmm. um in the beginning when he wrote the paper in judge rabinowitz's class at uaf in 1966 he kind of laid out sort of like the paper trail for how alaska native people still owned alaska essentially
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i i haven't really asked him this but like i feel like a sort of a righteous anger <laughs> has at times driven him and a hope and certainty that things could be different and that people's lives could be good and that they could have some agency, that, that Alaska Native people could have some agency mm-hmm. that had been restored to us. You know, he grew up as many people did at the time where, you know, I think it's kind of common knowledge now that like you couldn't speak your, they couldn't speak a language and were punished for it. Um, there are papers, like letters from from early teachers in Alaska on the Alaska School website. Um, I think Alaska School is still up. I hope it is. It's a really super interesting repository of um, materials, but...
2: It's up. I just you know. looked it up.
0: Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and, uh, and there are letters from early teachers where like people had to like bake the teacher's bread and they would like come to your house and make sure that your place was clean and stuff, just the like level of interference and paternalism, um, was it's just, it's, it's just truly galling to read about like in people's own homes that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, miss so-and-so from, you know, Missouri or whatever would come swanning into your house to like tell you that you don't keep your kids clean enough and stuff like, it's, uh, and so, um, you know, and I think at the time, you know, just all the sort of historical factors that were uh, sort of uh, arranging themselves um, to you know parcel out Alaska, um, you know, in his own hometown, the, you know, n- non-Native people um, pretty much like scooped up all the like the moment that there was any way to like, sort of be like, this is my land, like, I'm gonna buy it or whatever, like, get titles and deeds or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. you know, non Native people scooped up huge chunks of, of his, of his town. And, like, they, because other people didn't even know that you could go through this, like, paperwork system to like, you know, get it or whatever. And I'm not explaining it super clearly. But I think that like, his personal experiences with being um, like uh, losing their home on uh, the shore in Kotzebue and like the way that land was sort of, um, you know, uh, procured out from beneath the feet of locals. Like he he was essentially like homeless at times. And mm. so I think that the idea that Alaska Native people have have the right to just the human right to agency and um, power, and I think that drove some of his some of his work. Um, some of it was just getting things done, seeing something needed to be done, and um, working with others to 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 accomplish it.
2: Mm-hmm. In what ways do you think your inupiaq heritage influences your everyday life
0: well i'm i am me i mean i am me i'm i'm inupiaq i am also other things i um i'm conscious of the Inupiaq the some sometimes called our like inupiaq values um and and i have really important different kinds of sort of like sense memories of people of my life the other Inupak people of my life and the um, places on our land that i have been able to be part of at times mm-hmm. there aren't that many of us, I mean, compared to a lot of other groups, I'm, um, aware that sometimes smaller groups of people are, or sort of like marginalized groups. I think I feel sort of sensitized to some of the concerns that other marginalized people have perhaps. And yet at the same time, like I, Find great joy in the like tiny bits of our language that I, um, that I have like that I know, and you know marvel at the, I guess the like um, creative creativity and cleverness that that um, that our people have often like made their way with. I think. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So I you know I treasure this like little Ziploc bag of um muktuk in that I have in my freezer. Mm-hmm. It's like a you know I don't really ever eat more than like a little bit of it at a time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like um you know it's it's a it's a little tricky to reflect on. Along with all of that is certainly I think for me a complicated sense of loss Mm -hmm. and you try to hold at the same time, like all that I still know as little as it is, um, knowing that there've been a lot of historical forces aligned against us for quite some time. And that, that has had an effect. So, Yes, it's up to me to learn Inupiaq, to find the ways to, um, to learn the language and share it with my kids. I, and I ac- accept that individual responsibility. And I appreciate the you know, collective efforts of many people to develop like dictionaries and teaching tools and apps and things like that, that will, m- that make it more possible for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad didn't start speaking Inupiaq to us um, until later. I think it took decades for the, you know, indoctrination and the like, negative education, I guess, that um, was directed at him, mm-hmm. for that sort of spell to be broken. Um, I can't really be mad at him for not sharing more of that with us sooner um although he did try i remember we went uh, at um the Nana offices in anchorage it was in this like warehouse at the time it was not the like cool like um uh ice cube building whatever down on ninth mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah it was this like uh, like warehouse over near spinard and i remember they had somebody that was there teaching and i kind of wish i could see this poster someplace but somebody had developed this like clever way of um, of uh, sort of like it was a book. So this poster just had all these like different colored rectangles. And in, in my memory, like they were for different sounds. And then some of them, it just looked like flags. It looked like a poster of like the flags of the world or something like that. But it was this like color-coded way that you, this like other approach to language learning that somebody had come up with. And so, I mean, there were certainly efforts to do that. Like, um, okay, but uh, you know, it wasn't. Um, I yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, um, kind of funny. Um, and there, I remember there being people around, and but I think we mostly hung out like near the copy machine, just like drawing and um (laughs) messing around yeah like
2: can you tell me about when you visited the site of the last sod house that your dad built with his family
0: let's see it was not this summer but last summer i had the chance to um ride out with um my dad and um my cousin bobby and his son out to the last um the last sod house that, that my dad, um, and his family like built and lived in. Mm -hmm. In the pictures, you can see like these, like just like massive dark cloud of mosquitoes. (laughs) And, And, um, it was, it's really low land. It's really low. And it took a minute to figure out like where, where the house was, like where the sod house was, um, and of course, since it's semi-subterranean, they'd like, kind of like, you, you know, you'd like dig out part of it and then like build up and over with these beams that would kind of support the the sod um, roof. Um, mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize, too, because I was standing there and, he, you know, he'd say, OK, here's the stove and um, here's where I'd sleep next to the stove. And and I was looking at it, it seemed really narrow. I couldn't see like how... Um, how they could have all fit in there, you know? Uh, and he said that like over time, the whole thing is, it's not just that it like falls in from the top, it's almost like the earth like shifts to like close it back up again. Mm. Um, and so it was it was pretty, it was pretty s- small, um, but it was really neat to see and to like see the, the marks um, from where wood had been like hand chopped and, and shaped to be able to, to, you know to to build it. It was a really it was a really like special experience to get to see that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the other things about going out to visit that site was to just to stand on to stand on the shore. And I feel that way every time I go to Kikik Rock to to Kotsubiu anyway is that there's just something about standing on the shore there um, that's like, um, I knew that there he had like played with pebbles or mucked around on the beach throwing stuff or whatever or but it's there's something about the water and the distant view Mm -hmm. and the like um little gravels beneath your feet that like just really feels like um like i am of it and it is of me and Mm -hmm. we have and i and i really like being part of that
2: yeah how would you like your kids in heritage to play into their lives maybe as children and then as adults?
0: It's really important that they know that they're in your back and begin to continue and continue to develop a sense of what that is as a part of their like overall identity. You know, children are kind of still building that. We're all kind of going through a process of like um, building and refining our understanding of ourselves and our identity as we pass through life. Mm-hmm. But with them, there will continue to be challenges of all kinds to us as humans on this planet and to us as Inupiat people. And I want them to know, at the very, very least, that, that, that they are part of this, and that they have responsibilities. Like I'd like my kids to know some of the like, the language, material, culture, those kinds of things. But I also hope to instill in them some of the things that come, that are more about how you are in the world and the Inupia illiquisate is part of what that is. It's a work in progress. Like I have, I have a lot to learn myself. And, and there are things that, you know, maybe I'm not the person to be able to teach them, but um, it's an imperfect process. But, um, you know, when my kids like speak in your back, using the words that they know, or watching as one of my children, um, as my dad showed them all these um, little like tools and nubrooks that they've collected over the years to be able to see the, um, what people created with their hands. I feel like that's a a connection. It's never enough, but it's kind of what we have.
2: (laughs) Do you think teaching your kids about their heritage helps you learn more about your heritage?
0: Yeah. If, if, you know, sometimes it's probably out of guilt, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, uh, um or like a sense of my own sort of um you know the things all the things i can't i can't do or don't know you know i try to tell them like everything that i can remember about like everything that i've ever done or every you know person i've ever known Mm -hmm. or you know like and try to just like download what i can but at the same time like it's a real driver to me to like do better learn more um, connect more and, um, and, and hope. I think there's a lot of hope involved.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is there anything from your childhood that you remember being important in how you understand, convey, and honor your heritage?
0: I think about the time that I spent at, um, at IVIC, my dad's uh, sister's family's camp. I have really pretty like strong memories of, of being there. I think about time that I spent at the, they called it like the spirit camp. It was like a, and in the summer it was, you know, uh, like a camp that, um, kids from throughout the region would go to. Mm -hmm. And I think about the like people that were my friends as a kid, um, you know, swimming in the river there just a lot of like kids laughing and stuff mm-hmm. I think those are um some of those are some of the the memories that I have that I think it kind of go into building that and I can hear my dad's sister's voice in my head at times
2: do you know what she's saying
0: um I think she's yelling at us <laughs> 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 Actually, I know. um you know, and I remember going to um, to things in the, in the high school gym back when there were like all these elders and they'd like sit along the like wall with their legs out, you know, and mm-hmm. I think about that when I'm trying to like do something and I'm sitting down on the floor like it or pictures of my, um, my dad's mom with her friends visiting and they're kind of all sitting on the floor around one another. Um, so it's just, sometimes it's little things like the ways in which you like sit that like re- reflect, um, people on, and, and places that are important, um, in, in my formation of these ideas.
2: Yeah. It's weird how memories come back to us, you know, whether it's through a smell, a sitting position, um, deja vu, maybe something that we see that reminds us of something from our childhood.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've heard too that sometimes, and you know, I'm clearly not a neuroscientist, but that like sometimes the process of like of like remembering things in itself, or like recounting memories, it almost like erodes them from your from your mind. Mm-hmm. So like like the more time, and then and then you start wondering too, because memory is funny. Like you start wondering if you're um, if you're altering your own memories. Through the process of turning them over in your mind, mm-hmm. um, I just think that that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Because I, I figure, I mean, in a way, that's like what some of, like my one of like my sister, one my my next youngest sister is like a um, like if I can't remember something, I about you know the past, I ask her because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like that's what like siblings are kind of like part of helping us or because they had a different perspective on it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they they saw it from a, a different angle or, you know, heard about it later, but from somebody else, you know, I think kind of checking that like sort of like collective family memory is um, so funny sometimes and like um, kind of helps us like to sort of shore up your own recollections or or uh, conversely, to like completely um, explode them. If you if it turns out that everybody else is like, nope, that's not how it went down. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> totally. You know, Priscilla. Yes. That does it for my questions. You know, I want to thank you for talking with me today. I feel like there was a real feeling of continued understanding of the world and identity in this conversation that I really appreciated.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I've enjoyed talking with you. And, um, yeah, I appreciate uh, the discussion.
2: Is there anything else you'd like to add?
0: My name is Priscilla Ali Noncavaak Hensley.
2: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit AnchorageMuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.